Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but I haven't looked at my bank statements for years. My husband could have a serious online gambling problem, and I would have no idea. I like being financially independent, and I own my own money, and I have my own bank account. I just find it so incredibly boring, I can't bring myself to look at the paperwork. As far as I know, he's drained the accounts and is setting up a trust fund for his second family. I'm a feminist, but a few years ago, my friend asked me where my top was from, and I said that it was from Urban Outfitters, but actually it was from ASOS because I didn't want her to buy it. That's fair, though. That's fair. I don't even think that's unfeminist. I think, why is she asking, like... It's not, OK. I'm a feminist, but when I saw actor Peter Capaldi at the Women's March holding a sign that said, get your outdated patriarchal values out for the lads, I thought, I'd get more than that out for you, Peter Capaldi. What a lovely man with a lovely sign and going out to the march, Peter Capaldi, and he had that sign. I'm a feminist, but I was at a party and a guy asked if he could touch my hair and I let him because Fade by Kanye West was playing and I didn't want to delay dancing to it. Because <laughs> it would just be too much effort to explain to him why and I was like, just not now. I can't. I have to dance. So, so you just went, just get it over and done with. I was just like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then he didn't, and then I ran away. Yeah. You didn't want to dance with him, though? Absolutely not, no. Ne- never no. after that. No. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but I'd quite like to do Peter Capaldi in his role as sweaty, appalling, deceitful spin doctor and bully Malcolm Tucker from The Thick of It. Because <laughs> he would... Man, he would fuck hard, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would take you... He would be insulting, he'd be so rude, he'd be sweary, he'd be mean. Or maybe he'd just, like, that would be his softer side. Oh, don't say that, would it? <laughs> maybe he'd cry after him. Oh! <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm a feminist, but I want Rory in Gilmore Girls to marry Logan, even though her soulmate is clearly Jess. 
Which bit are you agreeing with? Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch the Gilmore Girls, and I feel very bad for saying that. Cause you have to watch. It. I know, I know. You have to watch. It. You have to watch. <laughs> oh, give us a cheer if you're a Gilmore Girls fan. <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> if you're actively anti-Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. There's, there's anti and pro. We don't have time to get into why now, and I feel bad. But maybe we should do a whole theme on the Gilmore Girls. Um, oh, I'm gonna have to. Box set the fuck out of that as my challenge. Uh, live from King's Place in London, the Spotlight Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White. Guest co host Lolliana Pope, and tonight's special guest, Jessica Regan, talking about power. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Now, Lolly, you've been filming today, haven't you? I have, Can you yes. tell us what you've been filming? Uh, it's a show called Loaded, a sitcom Ooh. for Channel 4. Uh, have you had a nice day on Loaded? A lovely day, a freezing cold day in Southampton. And then you had to race up here. Thank you for making the effort. Lolly was cutting it very fine, so fine that she missed the first show. But she has slept after it's very hard work for me. I mean, I know it sounds like that's like a joke, like, oh, yeah, well, I'm just sitting in my trailer and then people bring me drinks. And then, yeah. But it is actually, it's hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you. It's well, it's just long very days. early mornings and I'm not an early morning person at all. No, you're a comedian, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and no. I, I honestly, I wake up in the morning at five o'clock and I feel sick. And I, I just sit there and I'm like, no, no. Do you commute? Do you don't stay in Southampton? Well, I was filming something else. That the days were alternate. So Get I her. To... <laughs> um, so today we're talking about power. Yes. Uh, does it take a lot of power to be on a film set? I think so, and also not at all, because actors get treated better than normal just people. Just too nicely. Mm. Like we were doing a scene, and one of the people in the cast was sitting on a chair that was quite uncomfortable, and he was like, oh, "This chair is so uncomfortable," and he sort of turned round and saw the sound girl like holding up the boom and she'd been holding it up for like hours and like obviously not sitting down and we were all kind of like <laughs> quite awkward that we're complaining about stuff like that when yeah everybody else is working a lot harder yeah but still you're the ones who have to be on screen yeah, making sure. the magic happen yeah and that's why you need an incredibly comfortable seat and for someone Thank to bring you. you a diet coke whenever you ask <laughs> what was your challenge for the theme of power lolly uh, my challenge was that I wasn't able to go to the Women's March because I was filming in Southampton. So Who are you I... filming in Southampton? You haven't mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, as I was saying, I was filming in Southampton. And, uh, and so my challenge was to somehow still contribute or just do something so that it wasn't just like a wasted day where I was like, oh, I didn't go, and then I didn't do anything. And then on the day, I was sort of looking at lots of Instagrams from my friends who were there, I had lots of what I called unhelpful feelings where I just tried to suppress them because there were lots of feelings of like, hmm, they all look very smug. And, oh, they're getting a lot of Instagram likes. No wonder if they're just doing this for the Instagram likes. And then I was like, no, Lolly, this is really unhelpful. But then I was also like, hmm, lots of white people at the march. Hmm, I can't see any women of colour at the march. But then I was like, also, you're not there. And then I achieved my challenge by having all of these unhelpful feelings and then going on Twitter and reading lots of articles and, and tweets by women of colour who said that actually they met lots of women of colour who were there and came specifically because they were like, 
otherwise this would just be a white feminist space. And there were lots of people with signs that said, I mean, not enough, I guess, but lots of people with signs that said things like, white women did this, and hope to see you all at the Black Lives Matter protest as well. Because that's like a feeling I have all the time that I know is really unhelpful, because it's that thing where, like when people say, oh, there's no White History Month, and then you say, like, well, you don't go to a like cancer fundraiser and say, well, why aren't you raising for burns victims? Um, but I was basically doing the same thing with being like, well, where were you at the Black Lives Matter protest? And it's just not really that helpful. But then, basically, like, I think I helped myself by reading the like work of people who sort of feel the same way, but then use that for good rather than just like sitting bitterly in my trailer in Southampton <laughs> <laughs> and, and doing nothing. What we need is to practice gratitude for what's there and then have that little bit of dissatisfaction for what's not. Mm -hmm. Because if we just look at what's not there, we just become a conduit for misery and discouragement, actually. Yeah. We discourage ourselves, we discourage other people. So when people sit online like, calling people out all the time, yeah. I'm like, you're discouraging them from the positive thing they're trying to do yeah, yeah. Uh, if that's the only thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying don't call people out. I'm saying do that in the context of other positivity. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the same time as practising gratitude, the thing is, satisfied people are not responsible for any of the changes in the world. Mm -hmm. Not one piece of technology, revolution, uh, fantastic change, leap forward in liberal values, or just even invention, or you know, the invention of the chair, wasn't created by someone who was just happy and content. It was someone who was saying, I'm fucking sick of the ground, who invented the chair, and just fuck this shit. And like lots of ground people, we're just going to be grateful for the ground. It's holding you down, it's gravity. Why do you always have to be so dissatisfied? Because I'm just sick of sitting on the ground. It's dirty, I'm uncomfortable, it's hard. And they just got a bit of ground and they put four legs underneath it and went, look, now the ground's higher. There's room for my legs. And that's the invention of the chair. Just the chair. Yes. We're all learning here. And, yeah, definitely. And then someone said, this stool is... There's no back. I'm so uncomfortable. They went, look, I've made you a stool. Why can't you just be happy with a stool? Like, what, you had the ground before, and now the stool's not good enough. And that dissatisfied person went, no, it isn't. I'm putting a back on it. And that's how they went from a stool to a chair. And then somebody went... <laughs> Wish this would recline. And so on, until we ended up business class air travel. Now, so dissatisfaction is how we get anything and anywhere. Dissatisfaction alone doesn't create anything either. It just makes enemies and it makes discouragement. So I think what we need is, like, 80% gratitude, 20% this isn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And that together will create what is now needed, desperately needed from all of us in 2017. And I've seen a lot of people of colour saying, well, where were you? Why, why are you just angry now? Why are you just scared now? Like, where were you four years ago? Where were you eight years ago? And it's a good point, and it makes me feel guilty, and that's okay. It's okay for me to go, uh-huh, sorry, I feel guilty, I'm doing something now. And so my challenge, which leads me neatly on, <laughs> was to invent the Uber chair. No, it wasn't. It was... <laughs> It, it was, uh, I present to you, uh, the flair. Um, Give it up for Lolly Adafopi, who is going to do a fantastic character act for you. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, guys. Hey. Okay, okay, okay. Who have we got here then? Hey, guys. Hey. 
Does anyone mind if I start off by asking you a question? <laughs> oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, has anyone ever heard this phrase before? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> Some of you, okay, okay, that's great, that's great, that's great, that's great. Uh, has anyone ever heard this word before? Brainstorm. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, can anyone tell me what this phrase and this word have in common? You can't say them anymore. Okay, you can't say them anymore in case you offend people. But that's okay. That's why I'm here today. I'm here today to tell you some of the things that you can say instead so that you don't offend people. So instead of saying uh, Merry Christmas, uh, you can say, I hope you enjoyed your Winterville. <laughs> or, or Happy Holidays. Or I hope you enjoyed your Winterville. Um, <laughs> Instead of saying brainstorm so that you don't offend people with epilepsy, okay, you can say thought seizure. Thought seizure. Okay, 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 okay. That's just the first step on the road to becoming more politically correct in 2017. Hi, my name is Damien Speck and I am a cultural awareness coordinator specialising in verbal sensitivity. So I do a lot of these kinds of events. I travel up and down the country. Uh, what goes up must come down. It's all about sort of making sure that you guys feel comfortable. OK making sure that you guys feel comfortable with what you can and can't say, okay? Uh, making sure that we don't have any careless whispers over the coming months, okay, 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 okay. Uh, I want to start off by telling you a story. I've always been fascinated by language. <laughs> sort of uh, how we speak, how we use words, and how we communicate with each other. And um, not too long ago, I had an experience that changed my life. And I'm going to tell you about it now. Now, I was at a dinner party. I was at a dinner party and I was chatting to a friend of mine, a coloured bloke. Uh, his name's Gary and he makes water. And um, <laughs> Gary was... Uh, Gary was annoying me a bit. He was getting on my nerves and I lashed out. Called him the N-word. Okay. He was being a nuisance. Okay. So I told him, I said, stop being such a nigger. Bit of discomfort in the room there. <laughs> Bit of discomfort in the room there, guys. No, nigger is fine to say, because rappers say it. <laughs> now, I sort of, uh, I sort of racked my brains for months trying to work out what it was that I'd said to Gary that made him so offended. Was it what I said? 
was it the way I said it? <laughs> and that's when I realised Gary was a vegetarian. I rest my case, but the point is... <laughs> the point is, I believe that we're all equal. Okay. All lives matter. Okay? So, it doesn't matter if you're bent. It doesn't matter if you're coloured. And it certainly doesn't matter if you're white. Okay? I believe that we should all do unto others as we would wish. Un for I'm Damien Speck. Okay, so um a few do's and don'ts, a few tips and tricks for the upcoming months. Um do get to know your foreign friends. Get to know your foreign friends. Um tell them that you like their hair and their clothes and their food. Um <laughs> Soon. Ask them if they enjoy living in London or whether they'd rather move back to their home country where they can speak in their mother tongue. Um, don't, as I said, don't say Merry Christmas. Um, a lot of my Muslimic friends, they do not celebrate Christmas. Okay, and so just hearing those words can set them off. And uh, as we all know, they're a very sensitive bunch. Um, and one last do, one last do, do. Ask out the black girl from work that you've always flirted with. Take her on a date, kiss her, and then tell her you're really excited to go back to hers because you've never had sex with a black girl before. <laughs> any questions? <laughs> Sorry, any questions? I thought what happened there. Um, oh, some questions I get asked quite a lot are sort of... Um, people say to me, they say, uh, say Damien, isn't this political correctness gone mad? Do you know what I mean? People say to me, they say, yeah, they say, oh, Damien, you need a handbook to know what to say these days. Do you know what I mean? People come up to me and they say, yeah, they say, Damien, what next? A black Hermione? Okay, so we've got some Harry Potter fans in the room. Okay, that's great, that's great, that's great. Um, if you haven't heard the news, they have actually hired a coloured woman uh, to play Hermione in the West End revival of uh, <laughs> Harry Potter the movie. And um, a lot of people have been asking me what I think about that. And I'll tell you right now, I think it's fine. <laughs> I do. I think it's fine. I think if you can have goblins and demons and wizards, you can have a black person. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Well, that's about all from me. Just time now to say good night, good luck, and God bless. Or not God bless if you're an atheist. And why wouldn't you be? Ricky Gervais is one. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. bigger than myself because I think I've been doing this podcast for a while now and I've done a lot of challenges where I've taken up space in the street or I've rung somebody up and not apologized and that's all about me and I think what I'm feeling now in this sort of 2017 atmosphere is what's bigger than you 
I did an episode the day after Trump got in. I felt so discouraged. I felt, what's the point of anything? I was crying, crying, crying. A lot of people were. And I just thought, no, this is necessary now. This is far more necessary than it was yesterday. And it would be far more necessary than if Hillary Clinton had got in. So I just put out on Facebook, hey, if I did an emergency episode of The Guilty Feminist, would people come? And people came out in droves and people couldn't get in. And we had a panel. And I just made the panel super diverse. I was the only white straight person on the panel, except Sarah Barron, who's American, who was talking about American politics in the first half. Everybody else was LGBT, people of colour. And it was an amazing space where they could talk about their anger. And Grace and Lane, the first thing I said to her, she's an American, um, she's a North American, she's Canadian, but trained in Texas where there's a lot of racism, a black architect, female architect. And I said, I have no questions for you. What do you want to say? So I thought, it's not for me to frame, it's not for me to ask, just how are you feeling, what do you want to say, say anything you want. And that felt so incredible, and it got such an incredible response, and I thought, right, what can I do that's bigger than me now? And I'm not going to talk about the march, because I've got an activism episode where I'm talking about that, but I'm doing an event in uh, March that's for International Women's Day. It's a guilty feminist event, but it's in the biggest space here. And I just decided, what was going to make this feel bigger? What's going to elate people and leave people feeling really motivated but also feels intersectional and beautiful and of the arts and so I um, today I hired a gospel choir which is one of the most powerful things I feel I've ever done I feel like it's like (laughs) fucking hired a gospel choir sure Um, so I did an event at Christmas I did a charity um, Christmas carol service and I was asked to read a poem, and it's an amazing charity, wonderful charity, and they're wonderful people, and they had different people reading poems. But, of course, they're really busy. They're running a charity. So they sent over, just pick one of these poems to read, or you can read something else if you want. And all of the selection of Christmas poems, traditionally, um, not their fault, but are by straight white men. And I just really noticed it now. I'm just like, and I just thought, end of 2016, none of these poems were saying anything I wanted to say. And I thought, well, who might have something that reflects the spirit of Christmas 2016? And I thought, what about Maya Angelou? She might have something to say. And she wrote this incredible poem that she read out at the White House. It was all for a White House Christmas event that was just everything we all wanted to hear. So most people weren't giving an introduction, but the guy before me was this, I think he was the only man. Most women just got up and read it. But the man, of course, had to give a little speech. So I thought, well, I'm giving a little speech. So I gave a little speech and I said this and I said, you know, this is this sort of Christmas offering. But I thought I wanted to hear from Maya Angelou. And there was this gospel choir, incredible gospel choir. And they started going, "Mm mm-hmm. And like, you know, gospel choirs do. So I was saying, hear it, sister. And so during this Maya Angelou poem and afterwards they all came up and I was like, you were fantastic. They were like, you were fantastic. And we had this enormous group hug. And so I was like, fuck it. I'm hiring a gospel choir. So I tried to hire that choir, and they're not free, but they've given me another choir to hire. And uh, so, But I'm definitely going to hire them another time because I'm pretty much not going to do anything without a gospel choir anymore, I think. Just hire them to follow you yeah. around. Like, I don't know, just put yourself in a wider space, put yourself into a more intersectional space. Like, it's frightening sometimes. You just think, I'm a white person, I'm going to fuck it up, obviously. So don't. Don't put yourself into that space. What if someone says, well, you're culturally appropriating the Maya Angelou poem. You shouldn't even be reading that. But then she gets no voice in that place, in that space. So I just feel like be bold, be brave, listen, be respectful, but try and extend your power circle. And like, how can you make a bigger noise? You can make a bigger noise if you're part of a choir, if you're part of a march, if you're part of a movement. And what can we do to include each other? That's all I'm interested in now, is how can I include others and be part of a wider voice of a choir? This is 
everyone make a lot of noise and welcome her to the stage that she's on. Ah, so power, power. I, I think I feel more powerful now. I do feel more powerful now than when I was younger, uh, definitely. I went to university in 1997. I don't know if anyone remembers 1997. Um, <laughs> the theme tune of that year was Things Can Only Get Better. <laughs> Turns out there were other alternatives. <laughs> really pan out the way that the jingle promised. But we felt very hopeful in 97. I was very young, I went up to university and I was Australian, so I had a, an indefinite leave to remain visa, which meant I could stay here indefinitely. That was the idea of the visa. You never have to go home as long as you keep on staying. That was basically what was written on the visa. If you leave for two years, we may not let you back in. But as long as you keep staying, and don't leave for a two-year period, you're golden. Now, what happened was I lost my passport in 1997. I lost my passport, so I reapplied for another passport. No worries, but inside... See, I get more Australian even when I talk about it. No worries. Lost the passport, reapplied, no worries. Got a new passport, one-day service. Lovely, beautiful, beautiful. And... Um, but I didn't have a visa. I didn't have an indefinite leave to remain visa, which meant if I left the country, when I came back in, they would just go, no, you can't be here. So I thought, right, I've got to reapply for the visa. And so I went online. And in 1997, there was an internet, but it was really just some pornography and directions to a shop. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what it is today. So it just had a number that you rang up. So I rang the number and they said, yes, home office. And I said, uh, I'd like to uh, reapply for my visa. And they said, I mean, it was just getting the stamp again, basically. I didn't have to reapply. I just had to get the stamp. They said, well, all you can do is go to an office in Hackney and you have to queue up from 5am. You cannot make an appointment. And you have to wait until you're seen. But we must warn you, you may not be seen that day. If you are not seen that day, you queue up at 5 o'clock in the morning again and so on, rinse and repeat until they see you. And I said, well, I can't get to Hackney by 5am because I live in Oxford. As I said, I was at university. How do you know if someone went to Oxford University? They'll mention it in their stand-up comedy set. Um, <laughs> So I said, I'm at Oxford, I said proudly. Oxford <laughs> University, the University of Oxford, not Brooks, I said. Just... <laughs> Hold on, I feel like I may have touched a nerve. It's possible there's some people from Brooks in the middle of this section here. Okay, there's some Oxford Brooks people who are like, high five, because I love people from Brooks, and I love you much more. I mean, people from Brooks had a lot more fun, and it was a better... So, very true, very true, very true. Bond with people from Brooks, quickly, quickly. Um, so, uh, I, I said, there's no way I'll be able to get there. I'd have to, like, sleep on the street in Hackney. Like, I can't do that. Is there anything else I can do? You know, can I ring the office? And they said, oh, no, unfortunately, that part of the immigration office, which is part of the home office, has moved. And we don't know where they've moved to. <laughs> and I went, what? And I said, but you just said they're in Hackney. She said, oh, but that's just the processing office. The people that make these decisions, they're in another office, and we don't know where they are. And I said, you're kidding. And she went, no, no, we're really not. She said, we've lost that bit of the home office. <laughs> just temporarily, she said. I'm sure we'll find it, she said. And I was feeling really stupid for having lost my passport, and this really put it in perspective. <laughs> so I thought, right, I've got to take power here. And I'm really aware, as I say this, I do this from a really privileged position because I'm an immigrant, but I'm the sort of immigrant that, because I speak English as my first language, and I'm from a very entitled country. People don't call me an immigrant, they call me an expat, um, which always conjures up the sort of British person drinking pims in short sleeves somewhere, doesn't it? <laughs> an expat. 
And so I sort of went, well, no, this just can't be. And I sort of kicked my, I suppose, entitlement power into gear. I just went, well, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't accept this as an answer. I, I, I'm not going to go and stand on the street until five o'clock in the morning in Hackney and just queue up. There must be another way. So I started calling other officers. And I ended up calling Jack Straw, who was the, who was the Home Secretary. <laughs> and said, I'd like to speak to Mr. Straw, please. And they said, who is it? And I said, well, you, you don't know me. And I explained, and they went, well, he's not here. And no one called me back. Chuck Straw never called me back, just to be clear. And I just thought, fuck this. And I just thought, I voted for Tony Blair, and I was told things could only get better. I'm ringing him. I'm ringing him. So I rang number 10 Downing Street, which they had not lost. And, uh, and I ring, 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 ring. Uh, hello, number 10 Downing Street. And I said, hello, is Tony Blair there, please? And the lady laughed. Because clearly nobody says that. Even people who know Tony Blair. Apparently that's not what they say when they call. And she said, who are you? And I explained my predicament. And I said, they don't know where this bit of the home office is. And uh, I wondered if Tony Blair knew. <laughs> If he doesn't know, I'm going to ring the Guardian newspaper and see if they know. And she said, uh, can I just put it on hold? And uh, she, uh, she came back and, uh, and she laughed and she basically said, look, I, I shouldn't do this, but like for your chutzpah, what I'm going to do is I've, I've got a secret number for you. Now, ring this number and ask for Maureen. <laughs> this is true, this is a true story. Maureen's going to help you and then I want you to destroy the number. And I was like, okay, okay. So I rang the number, spoke to Maureen. Maureen said, yes, I was expecting a call. And uh, she said, I'm going to send you a letter. And then I want you to leave the country just for the day. Just go to Paris for lunch. Come back. Uh, this is the seriously the power of expat entitlement, isn't it? Just pop to Paris for lunch, darling. Uh, come back. And when you come back into the country with this letter and your passport, they will stamp it and that is your visa. And so I did that. I went to Paris, came back got my stamp, destroyed the number, like the James Bond I felt I was. <laughs> and I thought, power, power, this is power. Now, cut to 2007, 10 years later. I lost my passport again. Okay, don't judge me. It's once a decade, gang. That's not bad going for someone who travels as much as me. And don't forget, I didn't lose a passport office. I just lost a passport. <laughs> so... 2007, I lost my passport again, and I thought the same deal would happen, but no, because now this is after 9-11. Everything has changed. They don't give a fuck who you are, and my expat sense of entitlement was doing me no favours whatsoever. Basically, this time, they said, you've got to pay, like, £2,000. You've got to go to Sheffield. <laughs> and if you're listening from Sheffield... What that was the sound of was a London audience hearing the sentence, you've got to go to Sheffield. I apologise to any of our listeners in the north. That is not acceptable. It's not inclusive. I'm very sorry. They're Londoners. They just... What was that? What did you say? OK, so, someone from Oxford Brooks was saying it's the distance... Not the place. <laughs> the distance. It was the distance they were concerned with. And we understand. If you're living in Sheffield, you have to come to London all the time for this kind of crap. But anyway. So, but when I got there to Sheffield, which is a lovely place. My sister-in-law lives there. Lovely place. But I had to go to... It was an, an industrial estate. It looked like somewhere they'd take you on the wire to have you killed. <laughs> oh, it really did. And I went in and there were security machines heavier than any airport security I'd ever experienced. And I went in and I had all of this proof because what I had to prove was not only that I'd had this visa at some point in time, but I'd not left the country for any two-year period. 
And so I went in and I had all these bank statements and you know, landlord statements and all sorts of things proving that I had not left the country for two years. And I went in, I waited, queued up. Finally, I got through and this lovely lady, she looked at all my stuff and she said, this is all lovely what you've prepared and I see what you've done here and I see the effort you've gone to. But she said, I've been here all my life and I couldn't prove I hadn't left for a two year period because you can rent a flat, you can have a bank account and you can sod off. And then you can come back three years later. So there's nothing here that really demonstrates to me that you've been here for two years. And to be honest with you, I couldn't prove it. We're asking you to prove something too difficult, but there's nothing I can do. I'm going to have to deport you. And I was like, but I, li- I live here. I don't live in Australia. I haven't lived in Australia since the 90s. I don't have any. I, I, what, where am I going to live? And she went, well, I'm sure you'll work all that out. You can start the process again when you get there. It might take a year or two, but it's lovely weather in Australia at this time of year. <laughs> she was genuinely incredibly nice. She said, don't worry, don't worry. We'll pop you on a plane this afternoon, but don't worry, don't worry. Um, she said, you won't have to pay for the ticket. You can pay for it later. And I was like, oh, but, I don't, but I don't live there anymore. And I was thinking, what power do I have? Because I'd, I'd played all the cards, and what power do I have? Because I live here, I don't live there, and I have a visa. And I said, but I had a visa, you must have a record of it. And she said, well, the thing is, we don't have a record of it, and I'll tell you why. We lost a lot of boxes. At one point in the 90s, we lost a, we lost a passport office. I was like, are you serious? She said, yeah. I said, I remember that happening. She said, yeah, we lost the office and we lost... But I said, I didn't come over in the 50s. You must have it on a computer. She said, no, we didn't computerise anything then. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? She said, you'll just have to go and start the process again in Australia. There's nothing I can do. And I looked at my bag and I had one thing left. And it was the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Guide. Now, I would think that would be completely worthless. But somebody had said to me before I got on the train, take the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Guide because you're in it and... Everyone loves show business. <laughs> and I went, I don't think the Home Office are going to give a fuck that I'm going to the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Most of the acts at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe are Australians on dodgy visas. I don't think they're really going to, that's not going to help me at all. My father-in-law, he just went, just take it, just take it. Everyone loves show business. And I thought, I can't see this playing, but it's all I've got left. And she's literally booking a flight. <laughs> so I looked down into my bag and thought, the power of show business. <laughs> Please help me now, you're all I have. So I pulled the Edinburgh Festival Fringe Guide out of my bag, I turned it open to a page with my face on it, the quarter page advert, and I turned it round and I pushed it over and I said, oh, it's going to be really hard if I get deported because I'm meant to be doing the Edinburgh Festival, I'm doing a solo show. And I pushed down, she looked down and she went, oh, you're a comedian. I went, yeah. She went, oh, we've never had a comedian here before. We've never had a comedian. We've had a pop star, not allowed to say who it was, Jason Donovan. And, <laughs> and we've had several footballers. We've had a lot of footballs. Haven't we, Ma- haven't we, Mary? 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 Mary, we've had footballers, haven't we? We've never had a comedian, haven't we, Mary? We've got a comedian. Come and have a look. We've got a comedian. Do you know I love comedy? I love comedy. Do you know our team? We had an outing. We went to see that Al Murray pub landlord. Do you know that Al Murray pub landlord? I love that Al Murray pub landlord. And I went, oh, actually, I do, I do know Al Murray pub landlord. I've gigged with him. She said, do you? What's he like? I said, oh, he's, a, he's very nice. Do you know Al Murray, pub landlord? Do you really know Al Murray, pub landlord? I said, yes, I, I really do. I know Al Murray, pub landlord. She said, well, you can't get more British than that, can you? <laughs> Visa accepted. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the power of show business. <laughs> so lucky I wasn't anything useful, like a teacher or a social worker or a fucking doctor. (laughs) Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's time to get our guest on, an incredible actress and writer and all-round brilliant person. Please welcome to the stage, Jessica Regan. Jessica, tell us a little bit about the things you've done, just so we can kind of get to know you before we talk about the power space. So what have I done? Well, I've been an actor now, a professional actor, for close to 10 years. And I've been very fortunate in some respects, and I've worked very hard in other respects. And um, I think actors audition all the time and are constantly presenting themselves to the world. And I've learned a few things along the way about that. And it's interesting that you've talked so much about um, being grateful. Because for so long, I was so, so grateful to just work. I was just like, you know, I'm so, so lucky. I'm so lucky. I'm so thankful. I'm so lucky. I'm so thankful. Then it was like, well, hang on a second. You are an asset to the room because you're going to work extremely hard. You're going to be passionate and dedicated. And once I reframed that, it's like you can't unsee it. And you can't unsee times where you're not being treated as an asset. So I guess, yeah, that's sort of where I'm at. Do you think both of you are actors and are on... I don't know if you know, but Lolly's been filming in Southampton. I heard that. I'm so jealous, girl. Who's your agent? I love my agent, by the way. I love him. Jess was in Doctors and treated it constantly like she was in Chekhov at the National. And so won two awards. And I, I think it's OK You didn't have to, to mention that. People... <laughs> Uh, so people in, I don't know how to say this tactfully, but doctors hadn't won a lot of awards. No, 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 this is just true. Uh, and uh, then you won a Royal Television Award. I did. And then you won the Best Newcomer, and doctors hadn't won that maybe ever. Um, oh, thank you so much. That's really lovely of you. Thank you so much. Um, yes, doctors had had a bad run. It hadn't won a soap award for, I think, five to six years. So it was, it was lovely, it was amazing. It was really interesting, because when I watched all the clips, they all looked like lovely soaps, good soaps. They all looked good, the clips. And then Jessica's clip came on, and it looked like a sort of clip out of an HBO show. They were very and kind, I was like, Deborah. well, obviously, obviously you were going to win. It's just to, sort of to give you some context that Jess has done some incredible theatre. And the big thing for me to see her do was uh, a gender-blind production of Henry V. Now, some of you will know this, because I talked about it in a previous episode, and I did a feminist rewrite that I'm sure Shakespeare would have appreciated. Bill Shakes would love it. Listen, everything can be improved, Will. And uh, <laughs> just sort of bumped out uh, once more onto the breach and gave it a feminist twist. And I did it here because I saw Jess on stage uh, playing the Duke in Henry V. There was an actor uh, playing Henry V. What was her name? The wonderful uh, Michelle Terry, who was just extraordinary as our Henry. I she think. was she absolutely was just, incredible. I mean, peerless, I think. But it was just gender blind. It wasn't like cross-casting, it was no. just blind. So the women weren't playing as men, they were just playing that character. And yes. I said to Jess when she came off stage, she was striding around this big coat and these boots, 
And I said, I've never seen you like that before. And she said, yeah, well, I don't play high-status roles. And I said, oh, I've never seen you play a man's role before. And she went, yeah, that's right. Yes, um, also with my accent, I get put up for uh, a lot of... Even when I have a job, like a doctor or a policeman, they're incompetent. (laughs) I get put up for a comedy. (laughs) Listen, hey, I I don't bite the hand that feeds me. Can Um, I I just say police officer? Because we will get tweets. Yes, it's a policeman. Oh, God, I'm a bad feminist. That's Um, the point of the show. Yes, it's a feminist. I'm a feminist, but... Um, well, it was incredibly freeing because I made decisions when I was playing that role that I would never have taken for myself. I took that space. I was meant to have attendance in one scene. And I just thought, can I have attendance all the time, please? Can I have a little entourage all the time following me you around? You asked for attendance? Yes, for, for, for some, some of our cast. Just have you, just have you thought of asking place? for attendance, Lolly? Still in life, yeah. yeah. Just to have, have around. I think on the Channel 4 show you should ask for attendance. Yeah, yes. nice. I just want two people following me everywhere I go. Just to hurry. Not it feels explained. amazing. Yeah, it does. And like, even just my entrances and everything and I wasn't really conscious of the fact that I was kind of taking the space like a man um so I'm trying to carry that forward I'm trying to carry that forward and not do self-deprecation and I think gratitude is very healthy but it can overwhelm the fact that you are an asset and if you are somebody if you are a woman um if you are a person of color if you are an immigrant if you all these things that can work against you being taken seriously if you find yourself in rooms and spaces You've worked harder to get there. You are more capable than the person who's had everything handed to them. And I'm starting to realise that now. Mm. You've had to push open doors. Yes. Um, and put talk, what I call talk your way past bouncers. Yes. Uh, I was very fortunate the last job I worked on didn't feel like that. And What was the last job that, you worked oh, on? Oh, sorry. That was a, it's a show called Ill Behaviour coming out later in the year. <laughs> like the writer of Peep's show and the producers of The Inbetweeners. It's no biggie, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no biggie. Um, but uh, it, it really didn't feel like that. We had you know, a wonderful female producer as well. And, you know, it, it, and Lizzie Kaplan was in that one. Lizzie, you? the wonderful Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I had to kind of rein it in a bit sometimes. Um, but what I have found is at times, and a friend of mine told me this story, and I thought it really sums it up. Often when it comes to technical things, and I don't know if you find this, Lolly, when you have to do a stunt or, or anything that's sort of a bit procedural, there's an assumed level of incompetence. Mm-hmm. And I've been spoken to like, uh, I'm, I have a deficiency in, in understanding. And the guy comes on set and it's like, hey, bro, you know what this is going to be. And then I come on set and it's like, okay, so we're going to push yeah. the button and then the man is going to, I'm like, why are you talking to me like this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not chivalrous. It's not polite. It's incredibly patronizing. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, a friend of mine told a story recently. He was on a set for an American TV show and um, it was half three in the morning. It was a night shoot and the female lead said, guys, I'm gonna, I just have to say it, you've spent so long getting beautiful shots of cars leaving driveways, and here we are, it's the big emotional denouement, and we've got half an hour to get it in the can, and we're three and a half hours behind, look, we've been three and a half hours yesterday. You know, I know nothing can be changed right now, but just moving forward, if we could all just do a better job. And my friend was, you know, very inspired and thought, you know, what a great way she put herself across, and she's absolutely right. Everyone rolled their eyes. Everyone rolled their eyes, here we go, you know. And he said it was because she was a woman. He really felt yeah. it that time. I think it was the first time he really saw it. Um, so I think sometimes when you speak he, up... Did he feel that if he'd said it, people would have thought, yo, yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, got, got. That's exactly... And he, he is... He's a very dear friend. I do call him the whitest man in the world, though. <laughs> he's sort of Aryan-looking uh, and, and quite posh. Um, and, yeah, I think he, he, he saw it firsthand because this woman actually had more status than him. She was the lead. He was a guest. And yet... She still had to kind of struggle to be heard, and what she was saying was helpful and sensible. I guess because she'd be seen as like nagging, whereas a man would be seen as like authoritative. I found sometimes when I've asked a question in order to make things go more smoothly, and so I understand what I'm doing, I'm cut off halfway through my question 
with the answer they think I want. Mm -hmm. And I go, no, I, I, well, you're not answering my question because you're not listening to me. And I'm not opening my mouth unless it's to be helpful. So just little things like that. I've, once you get past the gratitude and the thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And once you get past the fear that like, if you're not perfect, you'll never work again, that you realize you are an artist, you are a collaborator, you have a point of view. Recently, I had an audition and by the time this goes out, I will have got it or not, so I don't mind saying what happened. But I had an audition, and it was the first time, and I think because of the last job I've had, because of ill behaviour, it's changed my perception of myself. And I went into the audition, and I'd really prepared, and I was a little bit in, and I got stopped by the director, and he gave me a note. And then I went again, and he stopped me in the same place and gave me the same note. And I said, sir, you're going to have to let me get a run at it so I can show you that I've heard you. And I've never spoken to a director like that before. And I have a recall. So... Um, <laughs> stand up for yourself on sets Lolly or do you feel it's hard because you think oh I won't work again if I'm rude to a director or not rude but if I'm in some ways not seen to be as cooperative as possible it's sometimes it depends on how much I care about the project that I'm working on mm -hmm. but I think in general I try to like assert myself because in a lot of things that I've done so far there haven't been that many female parts and it just feels like this is sort of a waste if I don't assert myself and they don't begin to get used to having a woman assert themselves because like sometimes there's been like I was having a conversation with my friends and we really disagreed because I was in a scene and I had maybe like just a, a couple of lines in the scene there were lots of people in the scene and afterwards one of the cast members said well done and I was like why is he telling me well done <laughs> yeah it's weird <laughs> but, I, it? but then my friends were like it's completely fine and you're being mad and he was just being nice and I was like I had two lines and he didn't say well done to any of the men in the show mm. he didn't say to anyone else I was the only girl in the scene and it felt really like taking well, you like, kind of patronising like, yeah and well it was done kind of you like, with your little lines yeah like oh you do, you, do, you. you do deserve to be here now that you've done that good thing and it's like we all deserve to be here so Jess yes. when you do the Shakespeare <laughs> doing the Shakespeare yes. do you have because I've heard Fiona Shaw talk about going under an MRI machine, and if you do a male Shakespearean scene, different parts of your brain light up under the MRI machine than if you do a female Shakespeare scene. Why might that be? I think the male Shakespearean speeches are, um, they're very active, and I think the female ones are quite passive, and even when the female ones are active, they're wearing men's clothes, like Portia oh. or Rosalind, who are fabulous, you know, kind of dynamic, vital characters, but they tend to get to do what they do when they're wearing men's clothes. I'm sure lots of people disagree, but that's just been my experience uh, when I've looked at speeches. I don't think they would disagree, and oh. if they do, they're wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> screw them. Uh, so uh, the one that you did with me, I think I rang you just you to did. get some advice. So before I did Henry V, I got some advice from Jess because I thought, oh God, I'm going to fuck the rhythm up and I'm going I'm to fuck it all up because I'm not a Shakespearean actor. <coughs> and I'd seen her striding around the stage being incredible. And I thought, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to need some help. And uh, she really helped me out on it. So I then did it and I felt elated for days. And I thought, there's no way I could do that speech. Then go in for a meeting or a job interview and go, oh, hello, I just wondered if I, yeah, is this the right, yeah, good. You cannot go once more onto the breach and then apologise for anything. Like, it's impossible. Not physically, I mean, you could say, I'm so sorry, I've stood on your foot or poured boiling water down your trousers. I mean, fine. You apologise where you go, but you're not, you wouldn't have an apologetic manner the whole time. And I just thought, I want other women to do this. So I've asked Jess to lead some workshops in big, traditionally male speeches, some Shakespeare, but it could be, you know, famous speeches from history. 
and it's going to be 50 quid but there will be some five pound and ten pound places for people who can't afford that and we're hoping that people who can afford that and more will contribute to pay for not so rich feminist places so if you can afford 60 quid then you pay 60 quid and then you've knocked 10 pounds off somebody else's so we're trying to make it as intersectional as possible but also pay the workshop leaders like Jess. It's important to mention like this isn't an acting workshop we're using these speeches and this language as a way to access the powerful parts of yourself and the way to inhabit your space because that's what we learn at drama school and we kind of need to learn it in life to take our space and use our bodies mm. and, and breathe and it does feel different because the rhythm of the speech you know whether it's a sort of abraham lincoln speech or a, or a martin luther king speech or a shakespeare speech the rhythm of the speech determines your physicality and your power and your rhythm and your ability to step towards an audience and to say I am here and to be part of that wider choir that we now absolutely have to be we can't be going oh I have a dream don't, don't know if it's worth mentioning like we can't we have to be, you know you, you can't change the world with you going oh um, it's impossible so we've got to do it now we've been trained to do it we've been trained by society to do it but we've got to untrain ourselves and None of the money will go to the Guilty Feminist for the workshops. The corporate ones can, but the, the workshops will just go to the teachers in the room because I also want to pay women to come and do the workshop because that's a feminist act as well. So I wanted to get Jess today to have a little go at training you guys, the audience, to do a truncated version of my Once More Into the Breach if you'd like to do it. Would you be happy? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I just, yes. Were you saying about being part of a choir as well? We're going to be a, a, choir, a speaking choir today. So thank you so much for doing this with me. I'm really excited. Um, I'm going to do the first four lines, and then I'm going to go back to the top, and you're going to join in. How does that sound? OK? Those of you who can, stand. Please stand. Great. Have your feet uh, hip-width apart. And I say to you, my fellow feminists, once more into the breach, dear friends, once more, or close the wall up with our female dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a girl as modest stillness and humility. Okay, so that's the first part. We're gonna go from the top and we're gonna go through it all together and the slides will change as and when you need them, all right? Feel the words, feel the breath, feel the power, let's do this. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more, or close the wall up with our female dead. In peace, nothing so becomes a girl as modest stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips. Straining upon the start, the game's afoot. Follow your spirit, and upon this charge, cry God for women, women feminism, and Saint Angelou. Well done, give us a round. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels really good. Like powerful, it makes me feel a bit like crying, which yeah. that isn't useful, is it? I'm like, no, but I don't want to be in a battleground going, oh, this is really beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> this is really 
really a problem for me that I just sort of get teary when I feel like when I feel moved or angry or anything. I think I've really got a content. Although I don't know why I think it's a problem. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Interesting. Good heckle. What a good heckle. That's fine. Bonus heckle. I always think tears are a show of strength. I really do. We have I don't worry about friends who cry. I worry about the friends who don't cry. Oh, that's a really good point. That was really amazing. I really hope we can take these workshops. Um, Jess and other actors will be able to take them around the country because we don't want it just to all be in London. We want it to be in Sheffield too. <laughs> Come and at Oxford Brookes University. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug, Jess? Not personally, but I would like to direct um, people, particularly any Irish Guilty Feminist fans, to a few things happening. Holla. Um, to uh, Herstory, which is a movement that's happening that's trying to uncover these hidden figures in Irish mm. history of women who did amazing things. Also, please check out Waking the Feminists on Twitter, and please check out also Repeal the Eighth. Um, these are, yeah, these, thank you. So just, it's all on Twitter, it's all um, out there. When can we see um, Ill Behaviour written by Sam Bain, who wrote Fresh Meat and Peep Show? We're not entirely sure, but later in the year... Channel 4? Uh, no, it's actually BBC 2. Oh, sorry. Yeah. BBC 2? BBC 2. I play her first, and uh, I think it's astonishing and incredible. And Can you say what it's about? No. It's called Ill Behaviour. It's starring Jessica Regan and Lizzie Kaplan. And Chris Gere and Tom Riley, who are magnificent in it as well. And if you come along to Jessica's workshop, then when she's on the telly, you can be like, oh, I totally know her. We hung out, we had cups of tea, and it was so cool. Um, uh, Lolly, have you got anything to plug? Um, you can come and see my uh, show Lolly 2 at the Soho Theatre on the 1st of March at 9.30pm. Amazing. You must do it. You must, must, must do it. Um, I have a show, a podcast show called Global Pillage, uh, which is a diversity-based comedy panel show. Please listen to it at globalpillage.net or come along on March 11th or March 18th. And in fact, on March 18th, Athena Kublenu and Susan Wakoma have just at the back conspired to be a Global Pillage team. Um, so, uh, yeah, because they've just buddied up. And so, uh, and you'll be like, I was there when that friendship began. Um, so please come along and see that. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guiltfempod. Check our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. That's right. Tell everyone about us and how lovely we are. And follow me on Twitter at Deborah FW. Please give it up for Jessica Regan. I've been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest host Molly Anapope, and our special guest, Jessica Regan. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selinsky for the Spontaneity Shop. The next is Louis Metta Sally and everyone at New Space, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, was it clear at the top because I said it quite quickly over some applause that Lolly was doing a character I was doing a character never had a character ever oh sorry this has got awkward that's the end of the show let's go home Um, 
Hello, Guilty Feminists. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for all your support over the last year. Now, many of you have expressed a desire to get involved, to make some of these challenges real and alive, especially along the lines of career development, not apologizing, stepping into the space. So we have some workshops. Now, these are just the start. We're just testing the waters here in London, and then hopefully we'll be able to bring them around the country and even even wider internationally. The first two will be on the 22nd and 23rd of April. Jessica Regan, who's an actor who was in the Gender Blind Henry V, and I are going to do a workshop on big speeches, uh, male speeches from Shakespeare, speeches from history, taking the space and owning it. You can book for those workshops on guiltyfeminist.com. The price will be £50 for a day workshop but there will be £10 places for those who cannot afford the £50. And please chip in a little bit more for another feminist to join the workshop if you can afford more. We want these to be accessible to everyone and intersectional. Um, we also have more of a corporate leadership day. Many of you know that I go into the corporate world and work with women on taking up the space. So there's going to be a very big leadership event uh, with me speaking and other brilliant people that you can work with, uh, a special Guilty Feminist episode on negotiation. Uh, with Suzanne Williams, who is uh, well known for negotiating with people who have hostages for the government uh, and for other organisations. And that is going to be an incredible special leadership day. Hopefully you can get your company to sponsor you to come on that if you are in the corporate world. That day will be £195, but again, there'll be £10 places. Please chip in more if you can or pay if you can. If you can't, please write in and you can go on our list for a £10 place. Details of all these things are on Guilty Fair feminist.com. Hello, Melbourne Guilty Feminists. It's Deborah here, and I'm soon going to be doing a show in you. Yes, there'll be a live recording of The Guilty Feminist on Thursday evening, February 23rd. Please check out the details on Facebook and Twitter. Come along, be in the live audience, and afterwards, maybe take me for a drink somewhere really cool and hipster in Melbourne. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.